0: Welcome, everybody, to the Always Hope Podcast, a production of Willwood's Faith and Marriage. I am your host, Dr. Mario Sakasa, and grateful to have you with me today. Well, joining me today on this episode of the podcast is Father Dustin Fedden, a priest of the Diocese of Pensacola, Tallahassee. Father Dustin is the director of the Joseph House, which is a ministry to men who are transitioning out of prison and back into the world. He shares lessons learned by ministering to these prisoners, those who are transitioning out, as well as those that he worked with on death row. Truly an amazing priest in the work that he does. So talking about prison ministry, though, springboards us into addressing broader social issues and how, as Catholics, we should be approaching social injustices and inequalities. Here's the hint. It's not simply about political reform. When the show is done, please rate this episode on Apple Podcasts and leave a review, all of which truly helps get the word out about the show. And honestly, I just love reading comments from my listeners. It's truly a gift knowing that the show is helping others. All right, everybody, let's get into this conversation with Father Dustin. Well, Father Destin Fedden, good morning. How are you doing today? Welcome to the show.
1: Good morning. Good morning, Mario. Uh, uh, thanks for having me on.
0: I appreciate it. Thanks so much for joining me in this conversation that I'm, I'm really, really excited about. So, just to give people a little bit of context, you've been ordained a priest for the Diocese of Pensacola-Tallahassee for com- a couple of years. Coming on three years now, is it? Is that right? Or uh,
1: coming on four years? Four, four years. years. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Time flies.
0: Four yeah. years. Congratulations. That's awesome. How now, I know that your journey to the priesthood uh, is a little unconventional, I guess uh, that yep. <laughs> you wanted to share briefly kind of how that unfolded um, and because uh, I guess what i'm I'm struck by is I know that 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 you were working on your doctorate before you entered the seminary, and so what you're bringing into our conversation today is I think what what they want the listeners to know is that you come with this this experience of of having the doctorate in religion and teaching at Florida State University. While at the same time, then being led to to serve the Lord um, through priestly ministry, what what an an amazing kind of experience, and to bring both of those uh, to your priestly ministry.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah, you know, it's it's uh, when whenever I'm asked this, it's like uh, kind of, you know revisiting what was a very uh, uh, kind of. I I think monumental is the right word period in my life uh, of, of a lot of change um uh in, 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 in when I was uh, a graduate student working on my doctorate in in religion and philosophy of religion uh it was during that time that uh really through a a friendship a dialogue uh with Dr. Tom Neal uh-huh. uh and reading Oh, Thomas Merton's Seven Story Mountain. Reading John of the Cross. Reading Saint Now, Saint uh, John Henry Newman, and and others uh, that my um, you know I grew up in a in a Methodist background, Methodist in the Methodist Church, and then kind of evangelical uh, Protestant kind of Christianity, uh, and uh, and then when I was uh, studying religion at Florida State University really kind of was no longer affiliated with any particular church any particular community and was kind of just you know uh, a real a seeker uh, going to different uh, different churches different denominations and then ended up starting going to mass after again this you know conversations that I had with my friend Tom and then just you know reading these books on Catholicism and written by great Catholic uh, authors yeah. that you uh, of was was able to kind of put into words what I felt as though I was looking for mm. uh and a recognition of this the great blend of of mysticism of spirituality uh with uh thought and and philosophy and and content and history. And so uh during that time I I uh started not only thinking about Catholicism, but kind of wrapped up with all of that was already thinking of, of, of the religious life. At that, that time I was discerning, started discerning early, uh, with, uh, the Dominicans mm-hmm. and going to some of the Benedictine, uh, monasteries as well, and looking at the contemplative life, uh, uh, and, uh, you know, was, and then ended up coming into the church at St. Thomas More here in Tallahassee, Florida, and uh, you know, again, at the all of this time, you know, still working on my my dissertation, which was on Soren Kierkegaard and 19th century uh, philosophy of, of of religion and uh, all of that. And uh, then, you know, somewhere kind of along the way, once I came into the church, uh, our to our bishop at the time, Bishop uh, uh, John Ricard said, well, you know, have you ever kind of considered the priesthood and have you ever considered the the diocese here? And I started thinking about the local community and, uh, you know, Monsignor Tugwell and again, Tom and, and, and others that I had already been talking about Catholicism with, and then thought, well, you know what, maybe it makes sense to first kind of think about, uh, serving this community in this area. And, and then long story short, uh, about three years later, after continued discernment and and um, uh, prayer and reflection and, and life experiences, entered seminary in 2011. Goodness so.
0: gracious. That's amazing. What a great what a great story. Did, I mean, God calls all types of people. I mean, and, and there you are. Gra- graduate school at a public university, and then you would form this friendship with Tom Neal, who's a dear friend of mine and a a friend of the show. He's been on a a couple of occasions already, and we'll hope to have him on a couple more times. Um, But then through that, how God would work that and then guide you, you know, to the church and the way you described it beautifully, that you saw both the the beauty of the spiritual life, the mystical life, but then also the the intellectual life and and seeing uh, kind of both uh, in in their strengths and and in their Mm. beauty. Uh, and that you would then, you know, be, be guided by that, and then and then very quickly just keep moving then on towards priestly ministry and 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 discerning that and 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 just allowing the Lord to kind of guide you. So so with the, the all these varied experiences that you that you bring with, I mean, the Lord could have guided you to 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 because no one can solve every problem, right? And 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 there's a lot of different ways that it certainly could've led you, the Lord could've led you to 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 kind of work and to focus your priestly ministry. But it seems that here in the last few years you you've you have focused specifically on not just the parish life, but also in prison ministry. Mm-hmm. So how how did you get there? How did you get from your background as a doc student having and now having the PhD and being a professor at FSU? To being a, a, a priest in a small rural community in North Florida, but then specifically now working within the prison ministry and being a chaplain to to the the, the state prisons there in the area. How did you get there?
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny. It's funny, uh, Mario. I, I I remember early on in my in seminary, I would wake up. Uh, you know, there at seminary, Saint Vincent de Paul down in Boynton Beach, and just wake up moments and think like how did I get here? You know, just, just in, in terms of I'm one, I'm Catholic. Now I'm a Catholic pr- or I'm, I'm pursuing the priesthood. Uh, what happened? How did this happen? Uh, there would be those moments. And then, and then certainly, you know, a few years later, I would find myself, you know, cell to cell visiting with men condemned to die mm. on death row and, and visiting, uh, just a variety of different, um, you know, different, uh, different, uh, prisons and different uh kind of systems within these different prisons and in, in, in Florida. And yeah, this the, with that, you know, it really started with uh my pastoral year at Good Shepherd uh Parish, uh, which I know you're familiar with, mm-hmm. the community there, Father Mike Foley, wonderful, wonderful priest, just a good man. Uh and uh I spent my my I was at two thousand and thirteen I was sent there for my pastoral year and at early on in my uh, kind of quote unquote kind of internship there uh father Mike uh, uh asked me uh, you know what would you know instead of telling me kind of okay here's your to do list these are the things I want you to do in classic form uh, with in his own kind of way he asked you know well, what would you like to do mm-hmm. and i I still don't really know how it all happened, but I, at some point re- recalled an article, uh, about a layman and, uh, a, a layman there here in, in, in Tallahassee, uh, who visited, was a chaplain to those on death row, a Catholic chaplain. Hmm. Uh, and I, I didn't even really remember his name. I just remembered this article. And I, and so I said, you know, I, I, you know, one thing I'd like to do is in terms of kind of more outreach work, I'd like to maybe visit some of the prisons. And so father Mike immediately brought up Dale Rasinella, who is a, uh, a Catholic chaplain on death row and has been. So for about 16, 17 years, uh, a parishioner at good shepherd, uh, uh, and father Mike put me into contact with, uh, He goes oftentimes by Brother Dale because that's what the men, you know, uh, in these correctional facilities call him Brother Dale. So uh, about two weeks, two or three weeks after my visit with Father Mike, um, there I was uh, visiting with Brother Dale in in Stark and Rayford, which is where uh, Florida State Prison and Union Correctional, two large facilities are are, are located there. And uh, that night, we we made, you know, the trip out to, to death row. And that was, I mean, talk about being thrown into the deep end. Here I was. Uh, never before had I, Mario, had I ever thought that, you know, that I would be spending time in prisons and that I would be visiting the incarcerated. It was just not on my radar in terms of ministries. At that time, I had been two years in seminary. And it already kind of thought, well, you know what, I'll probably, you know, eventually end up teaching at a seminary or teaching at a Catholic college, given the degrees and my background. Uh, And that night uh, on the row, uh, I can say seven years now after that, uh, seven, eight years after that changed my life Mm. uh, radically. What was
0: it? What was it about that experience that you felt the Lord just kind of hit you and say, this is it?
1: You know it, what it was uh, when I was walking down. I'll never forget. Uh, I was walking down the um, the large kind of corridor here at, at at Florida State Prison, and you're on your as you're walking down. You know you you have these doors, these large steel doors that lead you out into different dorms. And this is Florida State Prison here. And this one. Area of it is a confinement camp, a solitary confinement camp that also houses death rows. So you have about over a thousand men in solitary confinement wow. uh, just at this one facility, and you're walking. into so the noise you can just hear; it. it's faint, but it's it's but it's also loud. You know, you hear the men yelling, you you hear the doors shutting, you hear the chains clinking. Uh, and you're as you're kind of walking down to where death row is at the very end of this, of this, uh, of this walkway. And as I was walking, you know, it's it's one of those moments where, with the ears of the heart, you you you're, you're hearing the Lord speaking. And I I remember very distinctly the Lord telling me, feeling the sense of you know where you're walking I have already walked mm. you know and you're 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 following after me and you know that the lord has been present here um, you know with these men with the condemned of the condemned the the lowest of the low the forgotten of the forgotten in 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 our in our society but you know in our state in the state of Florida here and it was there was also this this just a strong sense of the descent kind of into Hades, that you're descending, you know, where the Lord has descended to visit and to be with uh, the condemned. And, you know, I was very initially kind of in my mind, I was very intimidated, not knowing what I was going to say. I've never talked, at least that I knew of, never had a conversation with a, someone who had taken another human life or, you know, i Never been in this in, in, in this kind of an environment, and what was I going to say? How would I communicate? How would I talk? Well, that period of really sensing the lord's presence freed me i felt uh to visit with these men and and the men themselves ended up being uh uh very open and generous with their time uh, and we ended up having what is in an extraordinary situation, the most ordinary of conversations.
0: It's unbelievable.
1: Uh, And it is, you know, that. And so that night for me framed for me what has been now um, a a, a feeling, a a very much a, a mission among the incarcerated because I've discovered just how ordinary and that's what's most shocking, Mario, is how ordinary these men are. Uh, Yet in these extraordinary situations, it's the ordinary things they want to talk about. Their mothers, uh, you know, uh, the most recent, you know, uh, ACC championship football (laughs) game, wanting to talk about, you know, uh, films they've seen, um, the most recent letters they've received from friends or family. So all of that has, has... for me has has been very much a part, but it all really began that, that, that evening, that night, that Tuesday night, uh, uh, in 2000, in October, early October, 2013.
0: And you've been pretty steady going ever since then, even as a seminarian and then we were ordained and kept going. Yeah.
1: You know, I mean, it just, it, it, it's, it's kind of like, you know, the, the plot just kept thickening <laughs> in a way as, as I started that night, you know, I, I I was sort of you know I was introduced to different dimensions of the criminal justice system and mm. going not only to death row, not only to confinement but general population uh, participating in masses, uh, uh, going into jails you know as well county jails, and so that night was the beginning and and I and I kept up as a seminarian uh, and then have been able to really make sure that even in my the midst of parish life ministries and priestly ministries throughout the diocese and different parishes, that I've been able to incorporate uh, prison ministry. And for me, personally, you know, Mother Teresa and others have talked about this kind of vocation within a vocation. I felt very early on that kind of, yes, call to a priest, and but within that vocation, very much a, a mission to the incarcerated.
0: Awesome. Praise God. Praise God. So now eight years into this mission within the mission, this vocation within the vocation, what are some of the things that you've learned? I mean, what are the ways that you feel God has has taught life lessons to you through the midst of this or, or, or just experiences or ways that it has changed you? I mean, you, you already kind of articulated one about just being surprised how ordinary the conversations are. But I mean, when you feel called by God in that degree, I mean, any one of us who feel like we have a mission and we start tilling in the, the 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 vineyard that or the plot of the vineyard that God wants us to till in, I mean, He does it certainly for the service of others, but but also to transforms us in that process. And so, you know, what do you feel within your own heart over the last eight years, or things that have been kind of worked on and changed that 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 are that are worthwhile to share with the, with the listeners?
1: Right. Yeah. No, that's really well put, uh, Mario, and and it is so true that if we're open, you know, uh, we, we find ourselves uh, in our vocations, our responsibilities, our ministries, whether it's as a father, you know, as a mother, uh, as a friend, uh, you know, in whatever vocations we have, that if we're open, we find that the greater depth of our relationships and our contact with others that it, it it's forming us in the process as well as much as it's forming. I would imagine you would say the same about your son, your children. You
0: I, I would, I would, and, and I would say something. even not just even in my vocation. Certainly, I mean, I'm 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 like the man that I was when when I got married is not the man today. I mean, it's the man, but it, there's there's. A renewal, right? Love has love has taught me to be a better person. But even kind of within that, those smaller like missions and ministries that I've done, I'll speak, you know, this podcast, I launched it about, you know, whatever, October of 2018. So it's been a year and, and some change now that I've been doing it. But over the past year, I mean, even, even doing this has been incredibly edifying for myself. So, so I, I think you, you, absolutely, you know, whenever we respond to the Lord you know, whenever we feel that God is calling us to do something unique or outside of the box or a little bit different, I mean, he's doing it because there's a need that needs to be fulfilled and he wants us to fulfill that, but it's never at the objectification of ourself either. It's not that God only calls us because we're some specific widget and we're the exact tool to be able to fit the need, but rather it's in filling the need that we become That becomes the vehicle that God also uses. Many vehicles that God uses becomes one of the vehicles that God uses to to sanctify us and to grow us in our holiness. So yeah, (laughs) right.
1: No, that's ah, that's great. That that that's so good because that to me that's what that's heaven. That's him of God being formed. Uh, You know, we're informed in relationship because God is relationship.
0: Yes. You know,
1: it's not you as a solitary, you know, atomistic. Individual, you know, it's always in relationship because reality is relationship. Our God is relationship, and I would say that that's one of the things that I've discovered in this in this ministry among those who are so deprived of relationship, uh, who are so deprived of of meaningful, you know, uh, relationships and 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 social uh, dynamics that I have discovered how core it is to be a human person our need is for others and that that's not just a, a theory it's not just a teaching but it it is a reality that we are uh we are relationship that we are so uh so much of our of the goods that we experience comes through uh, relationship and, 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 and communication and, 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 and with others. And so I have in, in my ministry, not only, you know, at one level, we can talk more about this. It's, it's, it's seeing the, uh, and, and very compelling form, the, uh, great injustices that are manifest in these prisons. You see, you see the effects, the toll of, of deep poverty, on people's lives, uh, manifest in prisons because 95%, about, about 95% of the people that I, I visit incarcerated, that are incarcerated come from deep poverty. You see the toll that it has had on their lives. You see the, the, the realities of of family from, you know, family chaos and family, um, tragedies that how that has affected their lives. And so you, you see all of these injustices, Uh, that are, that are manifest. Uh, And, and, and yet you see this resilient kind of hopefulness among these, these people that have been thrown away quite literally and their desire for love Mm -hmm. and their desire for a relationship that is, that's built around trust. Uh, You see their need to be wanted and to be uh, remembered. You know, there's this one one encounter that I'll just kind of put Please. this in that brings this really to me to brought it brought it home. And I would say this is the moment for me, the kind of awakening that it's this is not only a ministry in terms of going into the prisons, but it's there's a, an issue of human dignity that is at stake on this day of, you know, so many of our sisters and brothers in community that are are witnessing the dignity of human life in, in Washington, DC at the pro-life marches uh, that, uh, that I found that this is at stake in 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 so many in these prison camps kind of throughout uh, our country, certainly throughout the South. And that is that there was this one day I was visiting when I was again, a seminarian a few months into this ministry that I was uh, involved in at, at Florida state prison. I was walking and I was going out to death row. And as I was walking out to the P dorm there at union correctional, as I was walking to my right, there were, All of these men, uh, predominantly black uh, and predominantly young men in cages that at first, you know, first glance look like, you know, what you would see at a dog kennel. I mean, dog cages. Uh, But they weren't dogs in these cages. There were men and they were out. This was their yard time. So they're out in these very narrow, very small little cages. uh, And uh, there were probably, oh, maybe 50 or 60 of them in these individual cages as, as I was walking by. And this, I heard this one man, this, uh, uh, one, one inmate called out to me. He said, Hey, Mr. Dustin. And I looked over and I immediately recognized who he was because I had visited him about a week or two prior in his confinement. cell. and I'm so awful with names and this is not, not something I'm proud of, but, but, parishioners can attest to the fact that I, I it's, I'm just not good with names. Um, uh, but fortunately at this moment, I remembered his name immediately. Uh, because I think some of the conversation we had had, you know, was, was somewhat memorable. And so I immediately yelled back to him. I said, Hey, Michael, uh, you know, how are you? And the look on his face as his shoulders dropped, his head went down, and then he looked back up at me and he said, you remembered my name. Wow. And when when Michael said that to me, uh, I realized at that moment, you know, that there's this machine that is operating, uh, that is, you know, attempting to erase so many of these men's identity of of who they are, of their name. They're given a, a DC number, you know, uh, and they become simply inmate. And then they're warehoused in these facilities and they are forgotten. Uh and in that moment, and M- Michael uh uh uh, probably in his late 20s now, African American man from Liberty City, Miami, which is uh, a very—I mean, I mean it, it, hearing the stories out of Liberty City, you would think that you were hearing stories out of Mosul or Damascus. Just the the degree of violence that that Michael and others have grown up in. And I, when I looked over, and when I said when I said that, and when he responded that way, I realized. My presence there is about restoring the dignity of the human person to be able to see them as a child of God, because I can tell you, Mario, and again, 90 to 95% of the men that I visit are literally orphans. You know, they were orphans from the day they were born, often many in, 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 in very chaotic situations, never really knew their fathers. We are talking about, this is why this to me is a, becomes a, we can talk more about it, but a a social justice issue because these are the orphans in our present world, at least in our present kind of context and here in in America, Uh, you know, when, when when the Hebrew prophets are railing against the injustices in Israel in the ancient world, oftentimes those injustices keeps coming back back again and again. It's the way that you've treated the orphans and the way that you've treated the widows, the neglect of those that are the most vulnerable in our society. And oddly enough, this is the the moment of 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 kind of an awareness of something that's really awry in our society. I've realized, you know, what I was taught to believe and what I thought, even as an adult, as an educated adult, was that, you know, prisoners are guilty of of horrendous crimes uh and they don't you know they don't have any rights uh and that there was this you know a, a kind of it, the last thing that i would have viewed them as would be as to some extent as victims and what i've come to realize is that you know we could you know the crimes are there and, and that's a reality and reality we have to think through that And yet at the same time, the vast majority of these men were victimized as well at an early age in, in different ways and degrees, and they need to be remembered, remembered as children of God.
0: Amen. Okay, so Father Dustin, you're, you're, I mean, you're preaching it, man, and I'm getting goosebumps listening to you. I mean, you're, you're, you're convicting me. It's beautiful. So let's let's go into that. All right. Thank you so much for sharing all those beautiful stories. They're they're phenomenal. But I think as people are listening to it, maybe maybe myself, I I, I find that the term social justice. Has become one that is just a hot button, or in some ways has been hijacked and has become this uber political term and in many yeah. ways it's used as a political barometer to to define you you know if you if you know if you're a social justice individual, then you lean more to the left but if you know and and so anyways. Just to back up a little bit then, all right and mm-hmm. to kind of give a little catechesis. This is the moment of catechesis for the listener, okay <laughs> help, us, help us to understand then the difference between how we define social justice in the colloquial sense of the term, the way that it's used kind of broadly culturally. Um, and then what does the church teach about? social teaching. There's a rich Catholic social teaching. Is there a distinction between these two terms? And if so, how how can we approach these issues with a Catholic lens?
1: Excellent. This is a, a great, great, great um, uh, question and, and I'm gonna you know I'm I'm gonna uh, go with what comes to mind Do it. and we can flush it out a little bit let's more go perhaps. so First, when I think of, um, uh, you know, when I think of the church's mission, it dates back, we could date it back to all sorts of different moments. But I'll I'll date it back to one moment of of Jesus standing up in the synagogue that's depicted in, in I I think, all of the, at least all the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Certainly Luke is what I'm thinking of at this moment. You know, when Jesus is there in the synagogue and he stands up and he says, I've come to proclaim good news to the poor. I've come to bind up the wounds of the broken hearted. I've come to set captives free. And then we see what Jesus does. He, he goes to, uh, the margins of society. In other words, people that have been made low because of their leprosy or because of their social status as a tax collector, uh and and are as sinners those who are not the in crowd within the uh kind of elites at the time and so what i in saying this jesus himself is recognizing his ministry has this social dimension it is a social dimension in terms of you know jesus is ministering to those that have been exiled and that's a political Social kind of term that has historical resonance at the time because we're talking about Jesus in the aftermath of the Babylonian captivity. We're talking about Jesus's ministry to the the Jewish people, to the house, to the people of Israel uh, that had been made low by the nations of the world, uh, and where you know, and then certainly in the time of Jesus, the Roman Empire and all of the the different kind of political, social kind of factions in that time of different communities and their different kind of uh, attempts to restore Israel. So uh, Jesus, in saying and situating his ministry, is situating his ministry within a particular context of and two people that have been affected by an empire uh, and have been affected by uh, you know, social but also religious currents and, and, and movements that have been pitted against the Samaritans, you know, right, or uh, have neglected the needs of the widows uh, and, and so on and so forth. And so from the very outset, Jesus is saying my ministry, you know, is is in a kind of social outreach and recognizing the lives that have been devastated by forms of injustices and yet, as we know, what Jesus is doing, though, is he's looking at, uh, you know, restoring the people of Israel so that they can become a light to the nations, uh, and then ultimately, and restoring the world itself, all of God's creation and God's people. So it's this in a way, Jesus's ministry begins as a, there is this social dimension, but it transcends any ideology, any kind of political movement, right? Jesus is resisting Judas's desire to take that oil and feed, you know, use the money for the poor, right? Uh, Jesus is extending something far beyond what, you know, the ideologies of the time. He's resisting Peter's kind of militarism and, 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 and desire to defend Jesus and bring it about, you know, through swords, you know, and weaponry. So at each moment, Jesus is resisting any kind of, um, reduction of the kingdom of heaven to a political movement. And yet what Jesus is saying, at least when I think of that moment in the synagogue is he's announcing the kingdom of God is going to attend to social injustices to the marginalization of people and he's giving us a sense of god's kingdom is universal and that it transcends any kind of tribalism mm-hmm. uh, and 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 yet it's it, it's not in, an, in its orientation it's not an attempt to simply become a, another political movement So to me, when I think of, you know, the, the, what is so devastating, what is so unfortunate about social justice and and acknowledging social injustices as being, you know, uh, defined by either the left or the right is that we're reducing the kingdom of God then to just yet another political movement, our culture war. And that forms a type of idolatry, right? Jesus becomes a leftist. Jesus becomes a socialist or Jesus becomes a kind of reactionary uh right winger, you know, and and that ends up in a in a in a very tragic way setting up this kind of division within our church where there should be no divisions, right? I am neither of Paul or of, you know, Peter. I am of Jesus Christ.
0: Amen. You know. Amen. Amen. This is why I think that Unfortunately, um, the Maccabean revolt in the, the the book of Maccabees, it being removed from uh, the Protestant canon is, is unfortunate, I feel, at least because yes. when I've reflected on it, I think that that story is so important to the narrative of scripture and that here we do have Judas Maccabee, who is the political revolutionary and causes the revolt that needed to happen. But in the end... You know, even the revolt against uh, the Seleucism, if I'm saying that correctly, right, my, my right. apologies if I'm not saying that saying that correctly, needed to happen in that time as terms of social reform. But it was only, what, 180 years later that then the Romans come and take over? I mean, the Jewish people, right. God bless them in the in the story of scripture, at some point in time have been overtaken by every major kingdom or political force in the history of humanity. Yes. I mean it's 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 remarkable. So so to see then the 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 Maccabean revolt be effective but only be temporary in the sense that the Romans come at some point between mm-hmm. the time the Maccabean revolt happens and then the New Testament starts. Like you y- you find that like it has to be more more than just a political revolution. While like. at the same time not discrediting social injustice as well. And so what I hear you saying is that Christ comes because the mission is the kingdom. The mission is the kingdom of heaven and that, that, Christ wants to to incarnate himself in the lowest of the lows and wants to be present in in every facet of of human structure of every facet of of the human mechanism and the political system and, and communities and environments and, and that the the way that he does that is 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 in the reason that he does that rather is it because in in poverty we are all reminded of our limitation and I think that's the danger of of the rich young man, of course, and, and even us, we live in an affluent society and myself, my temptation of my gadgets and my gizmos and all the stuff that I have, but it's easy to think that I can save myself. While in the face of the poor, we see very clearly that, that they can't. And so the, the call then of, of the Christian to engage in social structures is, is to, 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 to remind them of their human dignity, but ultimately to be that sacramental presence, to remind them of, of their great worth, um, which is that they are beloved son or daughter of the great high priest, and King Jesus Christ. And so that becomes the central teaching, the central element of the Catholic social thought, which is that everybody is made in the image and likeness of God and everybody yes. is worth it inherent mm-hmm. dignity, not just because of what they can do, or how well they can perform, but rather, but rather um, just because they exist, that they are very yes. good.
1: You know what, what? Yeah, absolutely. This is, this is so good because what, 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 what it would what you just said, Mario, is to me the great gift of, of the Catholic Church, of, of, of the social doctrines of the Church to the rest of, of, of society. And that is as an in, people that are incarnational, and, and our God is incarnate, you know, uh, is, is one that elevates human flesh, purifies it, elevates it, so that it can reach its fullest potential. We are not focused on ideologies, on political programs are not the end. The, the the end is the person, him or herself, created in the image of God. And, you know, uh, for me, one of the great uh, kind of uh, inspirations over just the past couple of years has been Jean Vanier, uh, who talks about his life with the poor, the those that are intellectually poor, those that are um Poor in body, you know, uh, in 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 their handicaps, intellectual handicaps. Uh, he talks about what he has learned from the poor is our innate need for others and dependency on others. And so, when we recognize through the eyes and the faces of those that have been made low by society, the poor in whatever form. We're not doing this because we have a political dream of a certain political program or, uh, or a, a, you know, a, a certain administration that we think is going to answer all of our problems. No, you know, our motivation in reforms and in acknowledging these kinds of injustices are the ways in which they they uh, tarnish or they 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 uh, corrupt that beautiful image of the of the human person as a child of God. As one who is fundamentally dependent on on one that is greater, because we know then ourselves that we are dependent on one that is greater. Yeah, Amen. you know. Amen. Um, so, I think that's right. To me, that's that's the the core of the of the Catholic social doctrine is it's the dignity of the person and what the person reveals to us of who our God is.
0: Hey everybody, this is Dr. Mario Sacasa inviting you to follow me on social media at Dr. Mario Sacasa. On my Facebook or Instagram, you'll get inspiring quotes from the show, the latest places that I'll be speaking out, and regular reflections on cultural happenings. I promise not to flood you with junk, but provide motivating posts that will help you in your faith walk as well as in your love life. So check me out at Dr. Mario Sakasa. Yeah, listen. I mean, social injustice is is real. I mean, we can certainly talk about abortion and and the the heinous crime that that is that is uh, abortion and the effects that's happening. And you talked about with victimization and and individuals who are who are caught in 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 a society that says sex should have no consequences, you know, Mm -hmm. and should just be free. I mean, the people who pay the price for that, unfortunately, typically are are the Mm -hmm. unborn. But even at a at a racial disparity, if we're just going to put it all out in the show Mm -hmm. today. Our first my first experience with racial disparity, I would say, was in Kristen and I our two years, our first two years of marriage. We worked with uh Father Dennis Berry and the Trinitarians uh there in Holy Trinity, Alabama, which is a, a rural community. And so Kristen did social services in the county that we were living in. And in the county was the poorest county mm-hmm. in Alabama, which is the one of the poorest states in the country. And so literally one of the poorest counties in, in the whole, the whole US. In one of the little uh, townships within the county, Hertzboro was the name of the town, coincidentally, um, that the, you could see it. You drive down the main kind of street in the town and the line was very clear. To the left were the 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 big, rich houses that were the white people lived. And to the right of the street were mm-hmm. all the the trailers where, where most of the African-Americans lived. In. And, and mm-hmm. it was a very stark, very, very clear line. And I was like, okay, yeah, this is... You know, this is, this is real. This is real. There, there are systemic forces that work to oppress people. And uh, we have to be mindful of that, that we're not in utopia, you know, human sin can be corporate. And then that corporate sin we have, has effects on, on other people in ways that they don't deserve. And, and that becomes the injustice when we feel the effects of somebody else's sinfulness in a way that's been put on us that I don't deserve. I experience an injustice or a privation of the good. And so I think that when we start getting into the political realm, my understanding, again, I'm not a poli sci major and I'm just a this this little guy with a little show, you know, with my own little thoughts. But I find that when we start, when it gets political is when we start getting into the solutions of said problems. Mm-hmm. First, if we can agree to what the problems are, that that's a hurdle in and of itself. But then the the proposed solution to those problems are when we start getting political in in mm-hmm. in the sense that the 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 left, as I understand it, tends to move towards uh, uh, systemic change, kind of from the top down, looking at government structures and and, and looking at um, elements that that need to be changed from a systemic level, which on one hand is good, and on one hand can get too far, can get too extreme. Similarly, then the right moves towards the individual and the local community and and personal responsibility, which which is good also in its own right, um, but then can also fall to an extreme a, as well. And so I think that the place of discernment then when it comes to any particular issue, but the issue we've been speaking about mostly has been that in the prison, um, is to look at solutions, at least I think, and maybe I'm I'm, I'm overly optimistic in this. But look at solutions from a Catholic lens that attack both aspects of this, looking at it and to say that there are – to say that there are systemic injustice is not to take away personal responsibility or Ooh. to say that we want to encourage people to be responsible for their actions. Doesn't then take away the fact that there could be social context that allows that is has, that has allowed them to, to act a certain way. You, you know, like the, the both and I believe has to be kind of um, assessed when it comes to, to situations like this. Right. Thoughts, yeah. Thoughts. No,
1: I, 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 you know, this is, again, this is when, you know there the, the the danger of uh, of any kind of ideology is that you you take an idea and you kind of foist it upon reality. And I you know it's interesting, you know, I think that the church, when she doesn't get caught up in these culture wars, uh, it can interestingly enough, end up being deeply pragmatic because we want, hopefully we want to be informed of the needs of the human person. Who we now who we know is, is deeply connected informed, and formed and dependent upon larger social structures. So we, you, you know if, if, if we take the individual and, and the person, well then immediately, once we take the human person as, 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 as uh, a, a value of a val- innate value uh, unto themselves uh, and acknowledging their freedom and their responsibilities and all that follows, we then immediately also naturally then look to the family unit, but then we also recognize that the family unit is not set aside, you know, in a, is not in a vacuum, but is in relationship to communities because we know that the community that you just described there in in, in Alabama and the communities that I know, so many of the men that I visit with and and, and minister to, uh, come from communities that are ravaged by violence and. Uh, drugs and have been exploited by uh, so many different social forces uh, that has has deprived them of a sense of the being connected to society. Most of the men that I visit with, so many of them, have never even dreamed about going to college, have never even thought about having an ATM card, never thought about having a bank account. And so you recognize there is something rotten here in in Denmark when you know many of these individuals have never even begun to feel connected to society at large uh and they've been very limited in the way that they dream about a about a life with you know with with a spouse with a family with having children these things simply are not in their vision of a good life because they've grown up in a survival mode mm-hmm. in their communities. And so I think that that's very much the case, that we have uh, an issue here when we, in any way, deny uh, either two of those ends of the, of the social forces and structures, uh, and then also uh, the, the, the the value of human freedom and personal responsibility. Because I think again, things are much more complicated, and we see the, hopefully as the church, we see the interconnections of these uh, of these realities, of the person within the family, within a society. um and so i I hope that that is something that we as a church can recover the the grandeur, the majesty of our church and of its mission that's been given to us by our Lord. You know, uh, uh, because I think when we have that vision of, of the mission of the church and the totality of, of the human person within the human family, we then are going to be freed from any of these kind of reductionistic political ideologies that ends up, I can tell you, I've seen the, and I've heard the hateful comments that come from people on the right about the people on the left, or I've heard the hateful comments that come from people on the left about the people on the right. And that ends up denying our connection as a human family. Um, so I, you know, and, and just to say, you know, what you said, Mario, about, about that just recognition, I think, you know, of, of, of those, of the disparities um, and of, of the realities of, of what it means to be born uh, for so many uh, into a black family especially in the South, but we know throughout the country, uh, we can't deny those realities. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, uh, we, we certainly know that at the end of the day, it's not only about reforming social programs or enhancing those social programs at the core. It's about us having contact with those, with, 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 with those that are poor and us establishing meaningful contact and relationships Uh, And I think it's in those connections at the end of the day that brings about redemption. It's, it's in the, the, the connections of, you know, uh, from, you know, one person to another and building those types of bridges that we find, you know, Christ is among us where two or more are gathered in his name. Um,
0: You know, we could take any, any particular social injustice that exists, um, and I can, Imagine a listener and now thinking, okay, my goodness, it's such a big problem, you know, then, and if it's so multifaceted and has so many different dimensions, how do I respond? Because it's in us as human natures to want to right wrongs. We want to fix things uh, that that are broken. And and it's sometimes we feel so overwhelmed by the problem that we give up and we don't even know where to begin, But I think that that becomes the place of the sermon. So yesterday, I'll share the story. Uh, I was invited to be part of this kind of professionals panel for uh, the Kiwanis Club here in in Covington. It's a small community on on the north side of of Lake Pontchartrain. And a friend of mine invited me to be part of this panel, which was really great. So the Kiwanis Club wanted to do this, this kind of it was more than a job fair. They wanted to kind of rethink the whole job fair idea basically and so they 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 reached out to the the various school high schools in in the community, I think eight or ten high schools. and in those high schools they targeted juniors and seniors and not just juniors and seniors but juniors and seniors who are specifically kind of on the cusp of not even so much graduating or not graduating, but even more so concerned about them floundering post graduation and not really being able to take the next step. And so they, they targeted each of these individuals, which ended up being about 15 or 20 per high school. So we had about whatever 160, 150 students that were there. Um, and what they did then is that they invited nine to 10 different pr- professionals from across the, the professional kind of landscape. So they had businessmen, they had artists, they had craftsmen, they had engineers, they had entrepreneurs, uh, they had bankers, and then they had counselors and they had people in the nonprofit sector. And so I was invited to be part of the, the counselor and kind of nonprofit sector, uh, you know, panel discussion where what we did is that the students came in and we just shared me and the two other panelists just shared our story and our experience of who we were in high school and how we kind of came to where we were with yeah. one simple mission, which was simply just to expose them to the possibility that that life could be more than just working on McDonald's or that that if that's all that's been taught to you has been that as a possibility then then there are other options for you and that the way that you that you get to where we're at isn't some magic trick it's just following certain steps that that could could be yours as well should you desire to want to move in that direction but the reason i bring this up um, one because it was privileged to be asked to 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 be part of that second, even among the panelists, I was a counselor there was another school counselor, and my work of course has been mostly with with marriages and families but then there was a, a a lady um who was part of the panel as well that that worked in the nonprofit sector and her mission then was to raise funds for social programs in the local community so they mm-hmm. they want to look at very very targeted we want to decrease poverty in Covington. how do we do that from a social reform we want to uh, continue to keep the the city clean, you know, and increase recycling? How do we do that from a social level? So looking at bigger questions, you know, across, and, and I was just, I guess my point is that I was really struck that like here, me and the other counselor are looking at these problems from a particular, a micro sense, in that mm-hmm. we're like, I'm providing individualized care. But then there's other people that are looking at these problems from a from a broader perspective and trying to say, okay, well, how do we raise funds to do this? What what programs actually work? What do we need to do to 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 sh- to change certain programs to make it happen? And that there are people. At that wheel, um, helming that project, looking at those things and asking those questions from that level. Those aren't the questions that I'm asking. I'm asking, how do I help this individual survive their, this affair? Or how do I help this individual overcome this particular addiction? And And, and the requirements... Or the skill set needed to ask those questions are different than the skill set that's needed to ask the other questions. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the invitation by Christ is to not look at these things as 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 competition, but rather to look at these things as as in tandem and in complement to one another. Mm-hmm. In that, like. You, listener, whoever, us, you know, in in this as well, have to be people of discernment and to say, okay, where's the Holy Spirit inviting me? You know, like you think about your circumstance. If you weren't a person of prayer and a person who's attentive to the Lord, you could have missed that opportunity. I mean, again, God could have knocked you off your high horse like Paul did and, and, you know, kind of really kind of have this traumatic experience. But more it was that That you kind of knew how God operated inside of you and you had to have some confidence to say, no, no, this is where I'm going to stake my claim. And when I'm going to do that, then I have to let go of other things and Mm -hmm. not be overwhelmed by the complexity of the problem. But Mm -hmm. just to say, God is calling me to be faithful to this particular aspect of Mm -hmm. of the vineyard.
1: Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, well, as as you're saying that, I I have to say and I have to kind of confess here because I, you know, uh, I, I have you know, uh, at times, you know, tried to do much too, too much, tried to respond to the the situation by getting involved in all the different facets. And, you know, in each person that I visit thousands and thousands of of faces that I see in these solitary cells and wanting to help every single one of them, you know, and, and a, a kind of activism can kind of start kicking in and, You know, and I and I, you know, each time, you know, what ends up happening is my reliance upon prayer, you know, the contemplative life, uh, uh, meditation on the scriptures, uh, the sacraments begins to diminish. And I and I find myself kind of in, you know, in, in overdrive or, you know, uh, and, 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 trying, you know, to fix these problems and, and ends up all, of course, each time, uh, I end up, you know, uh, re- realizing it's a, you know, it's a, it's a fool's errand and, and, and that I'm, I, I, I can't possibly fix these situations. And so I, I, I have to make that conscious choice, uh, to allow, you know, you know, each day, Really? You know, I know this is, we know this, we've heard it so many times, you know, uh, to take each day as it is given as a gift to be open to the way in which Christ is leading us outside of ourselves um, uh, to love others and and how that love is manifest, Uh, maybe simply, you know, through a smile, uh, maybe simply by remembering someone's name uh or it may be in you know in writing a letter to someone who's you know had no letters to receive to be received for years uh and it's in the the way in which you know there's a way in which i think you know the great work of christ is to and i know this sounds um may sound ridiculous but uh is to keep us small to keep us little um, you know, uh, to 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 remind ourselves that, you know, unless you become a child, you know, you you simply can't enter the kingdom of of heaven, and and I think that reliant that awareness of being attentive to the small things, um, because I think there's so, it's something, and I can't answer this, Mario, uh, entirely, because I think there's something about our God and the reality of who God is uh, in those kind of, the small voices, the whispers where he exists, where he uh, breaches us the most. And that to me keeps uh, any kind of ministry uh, humble and aware that we are not the solution. We are not the answer. I, my ministry, my work is not the answer to people's problems. Uh, hopefully I'm simply a prompt uh, or I'm simply a, 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 a gesture for them to encounter uh, the one uh, who is our in, who is our answer. Uh, and, you know, you, you just have and I have to kind of I have to be reminded of that. It's just human nature. I have to be reminded of that daily.
0: You know, we've been talking beautifully about holding the tension between the, the, the pragmatic and, and, the, and, and the spiritual and not getting caught, overly caught up in activism or getting overly caught up in the pragmatic um, while recognizing, though, that the pragmatic needs to happen at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so I, I want to give an opportunity here for the listeners to understand what is this, the Joseph House and how, is the, how are you trying to meet this need through the way that you feel that God's calling you to?
1: Yeah, well, so uh, so Joseph House and uh, came about really many ways because while in that, that year of, as a seminarian visiting the condemned, those that are in confinement in 2013, 2014, and, you know, these, these the facilities, the, the, the spaces that you go into are, are uh, really horrific. Uh, you know, you, you, it's one, one way of describing it. It's like, you know, visiting people that live in a mop closet um and that's you know that's even that's being a little generous um because it just doesn't capture the 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 harsh noises the smells the lack of of ac I mean, a lot of things that that you witness in going into these facilities so as i was going you know to these places and m- you know meeting these just you know very having wonderful conversations and and kind of starting dreaming about you know Michael's life and Tavares's life and Quentin's life, and 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 so many others, and thinking about all that could have been, you know, had they had more access, or had they been connected with communities that were supportive and and not destructive, and 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 all of that, I started, you know, just kind of dreaming about, you know, what it would mean, you know, what way could the church create um, uh, places, uh, a house, uh, communities where these men, because 90% of them will be released, 90 to 95% of them will be released from prison eventually of mm-hmm. those that are, you know, in our state, we have over a hundred thousand in, in these facilities. So 90, 95% of them will be released. You know, what, what could we create to give them a place that recognized and that in many ways just screened their dignity that, 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 that acknowledged their value and, and, and was able to help them kind of reintegrate, recover, uh, a sense of, of value, a meaning almost like a, um, what do you call it? What is it? Uh, almost like a, a detox Mm -hmm. space, a kind of a a place where they can kind of de-incarcerate, kind Mm -hmm. of get all the toxins out of that system, out of their system and to kind of, in a way kind of uh, recover their humanity, their their dreams, their their value. And so Joseph House uh, is a again, it's a very um, you know, humble, modest attempt to at least be, you know, a drop in the bucket uh, in terms of addressing the these great needs uh, in in our communities where we have, you know, every year, and throughout the country we have about 6 to 700,000 women and men being released from prison and many of them end up becoming homeless uh, and many of them end up falling right back into the same communities that in many ways sent them to prison to begin with so we want to kind of we wanted to create a kind of diversion from that a, a way to Uh, Try to give them a little bit more of an opportunity not to return to prison. So we've created a house here in Tallahassee through the generosity of our bishop, Bishop Bill Walk, uh, and other people in our community and our diocese who are who recognize the need and are invested in in creating uh, a more humane approach to assisting those that are formerly incarcerated. So we, in a very pragmatic way, we we had to find a, a place where that was zoned for individuals with violent charges because there are many ways in which there are zoning systems that are set up that they can't go into these spaces. Uh, oftentimes that means they're left going back to the places where they were, um, that they got into trouble to begin with. So we had to find a, a, a place that was zoned, but uh, for being able to receive those that have these charges. Uh, but we also wanted to be in a place that, that uh, again, spoke of their dignity. So we wanted a place in, in a nice area that was centrally located for them to get good jobs and have access to uh, maybe going back to school and, and good relationships and people that were uh, trustworthy, safe. And so, Joseph House is, you know, we we set up this house. we 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 bought a house in a really nice area in Tallahassee, but centrally located to kind of get them reconnected. Um, and here's the beautiful thing. and i and I know that um, you know, this to me is is uh, what, in so many ways, I've been blessed by my friendship with uh, our good friend Dr. Tom Neal, uh, who has uh, really um, instilled within me, uh, and in my priestly ministry, um, a great passion for the mission of the laity, uh, because, um, you know, I recognize that the needs that so many of these men and women have, you know, are not going to be met by a priest, you know, necessarily, uh, it's not going to be met by a, a a program, another program, it's going to be neat, it's going to be met by forming relationships with people that you know that have families that are community leaders that are connected in in the wider communities that have social capital, so to speak, so that they form these relationships with them and are mentored by, you know, hardworking women and men, fathers and mothers, grandfathers and grandmothers, and and it's through those relationships that will more than likely be the the way for them to uh, uh, to stay out of these horrific prisons and, and such. And so for me, for Joseph House, it's all about creating a safe place where I can help connect our parishioners um, that are model citizens, that are, are great people in our community of faith, and to connect them with the Michaels and the Tavares and the, and the Sedwicks and the Zacharias and creating that safe space so that we can ensure the safety of both individuals, but for them to be able to form relationships of, of, of mentorship, uh, to walk with them when they go to open a bank account, so they're not intimidated by being, you know, uh, you know uh, a person who may appear as though they don't belong at the local SunTrust branch, mm-hmm. you know, on the northeast side of town. Um, are, are shopping at a Publix, you know, so that they're not intimidated by what does it mean to pick up an item off a shelf and to go to the, um, to the counter, to the register and to provide an ATM to, to charge their, what they're buying. And, and so it those basic steps that we take for granted as being just what we do as, as, you know, human beings in our society, uh, we want our parishioners to be those that accompany these individuals as they're slowly coming back into society and kind of reconnected. There's that wonderful icon. What is it? The horroring of, of hell or Hades, you know, Jesus has one hand with those that are coming out of, of, of Hades and another hand linked to the father. Mm -hmm. And he's kind of this bridge, you know, in many ways, I see that as our ministry at Joseph House. We're wanting to be bridges for those that have been kind of, in many ways, the throwaways, the forgottens back into society. And we just can't think of any better program, any better way to do that than connecting them with safe, trustworthy uh, individuals in our parishes.
0: It's amazing. So it's so pragmatic. <laughs> I mean, it's right down to the nitty gritty of the basics of what it means to, to be a person like, and, and how to interact back into society after being in, in, in this subculture of the prisons that is just so removed from society as a whole. So I think all of that is fantastic. Now, I know we're kind of coming to the end here of our interview, but I really have, I have one more question that has been mm-hmm. lingering in my mind that I need to ask before we wrap up. Um, and it's a big one, but I'm going to ask it nevertheless here at the end, because that- I, I imagine that there's somebody listening right now who's asking this question, which is, but those guys have deserve it don't they i mean they've committed the crime they've 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 done the deed they've uh committed the violent act or have done the thing that rightfully so demands justice uh, because what about the family that is the victim of that said crime and so these men uh, and women are individuals who deserve to be in prison and don't deserve finer things um what would you say that to that.
1: Oh goodness, yeah. No, that's a great question, and and honestly, at, at times, I, I I myself have to be reminded, uh, you know, because I work with many of those that have been perpetrators uh, to be mindful of the the needs of victims and and those that have um, experienced violence, uh, had things taken away from them, uh, and so I I, I do try. Uh, although I could always do it more to try to you know to allow the the perspective of the victims to be a part of this process. so you know uh, the first thing that I, I I'd have to say is you know in our tradition, you know we begin each of our solemn you know masses our 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 celebrations at the at the table, our Eucharistic liturgies. By confessing our sins, by recognizing that we too are sinners, um, that we are coming into this heavenly liturgy uh, as sinners—not I—I confess that I was a sinner, you know, um, not that I am not a sinner, but I confess to you, my brothers and sisters, and to you know God and His angels and his saints that I am a sinner that I have sinned that I have sinned. And so the first recognition is that, you know, that we all know that we are sinners. Uh, and we also, though I would hope, experience great gratitude that our God has not judged us by the worst things that we have done. You know, that I do not, and am not seen by God, our father as Dustin, the liar or Dustin, the gossip or Dustin, the thief, you know, or Dustin, the murderer, who may have slandered someone by speaking ill of them, you know. So we all recognize that we have all fallen. Um, but we also, I hope, recognize that we are we are more than the worst things that we have done. And and this is a kind of mantra of, of one individual, Brian Stevenson, who's been a great kind of moral force and, and acknowledging the great injustices in our society has really made that a a, a a powerful saying to remind that we are all in need of mercy and forgiveness. And so uh, to kind of bring that down a little bit, uh, yes, many and, and most, not all, but most of the men that I have visited have been perpetrators, have, have done horrific things, and uh, and uh and must pay the consequences of those actions you know we all know that right you know yes we're forgiven but sin still has its consequences it can still sour relationships it can cause estrangement when we say something wrong or we speak ill of someone it can damage those relationships and so their relationship has been damaged not only with their sister or brother that they've that they victimized you know, but also with their own families and their own communities uh, and with the larger society as a whole. And so they are sentenced to time in prison. Uh, and there must be those consequences uh, based upon what they have done. And yet, and I say that, you know, to say that, of course, there are those consequences and justice has to be done. Yet, what we, I think, by and large, most of us see. Only the single act. We only know that, you know, that, um, that Jonathan, uh, was a car thief, you know, that he was uh, committed armed, you know, robbery and that incident, that situation becomes what it, he's then labeled as, as a criminal. Yet what we don't see, and you know, this Mario, what we don't see in the face of Jonathan is the abuse that he experienced by his father who was an alcoholic. We don't see, uh, uh, Jonathan, uh, growing up in a a community where there was great desperation for him to get out and to get something better. And he saw that as getting a car, possessing more money, uh, because of the ills of the larger society. So he's attempting to do things. So what we, To 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 acquire something that is good, but going about it in a very disordered, you know, uh, uh, unjust way. But what we have within our tradition, and this is for something that I I hope we recover, uh, you know, is that, yes, we believe in punishment, but we believe more so in restoration. And part of that restoration is recognizing what we call the mitigating factors. Right. The conditions by which we have committed a sin, that Jesus, you know does not look at us again as this you know automaton, this solitary individual within a vacuum. No, Our Lord recognizes the context that made it easy for us to sin, that contributed to us wanting things that were not ours, you know, or tearing someone else down you know, are forgetting about the needs of our sisters and brothers and thinking only about ourselves. But we, but Jesus recognizes the sin, sees the sin, but also sees it within that larger context. And so when we see people and we know a little bit more about their family history, when we see the situations that they, they, they've, they've, that they've contended with, and there's so many of them coming in out of abusive relationships and backgrounds of abuse, horrible abuse. I can tell you that we then humanize them a little bit more. And when we start to humanize them, we start to hope for a better future for Jonathan. You know, we want him to, uh, to, to be healed, you know, spiritually, mentally, mentally, you know, psychologically and then socially. We want to welcome him back into the community because, as we know at Mass, at that great Eucharistic celebration, that, yes, we confess ourselves as sinners publicly. We acknowledge that we sinned against our sisters and brothers. But then just a few minutes later, we make that wonderful sign of peace, you know, that now we are at peace with each other and we are restored to the the, the Kingdom of Heaven into the city of God, and we are now going to participate in receiving that great in eating of the great feast of redemption. If with that vision, that Eucharistic vision of the liturgies that we celebrate, you know at mass, for me, That is then go forth, the masses ended. Now go forth and bring this Eucharistic reality, this Eucharistic truth out into your society and welcome back our fallen sisters and brothers, you know, because we ourselves have been welcomed back.
0: God of mercy. You know, God our God is is a God of mercy and a God of justice. And so there is a a, again a tension there that yes, you have to pay price, so to speak, of the crime. But that doesn't, I think this is what you're saying, that doesn't take away your humanity either. And that doesn't mean that there, even in the midst of that, that there, that you shouldn't be relegated as just a castaway of society. That even in the midst of paying the price, so to speak, your dignity is intact and, and, and that needs to be upheld. There's a story that's coming to my mind right now, and, and I, I hope this is a true story. I love telling it but I hope it's true. So this is what I've heard. Uh, Monsignor Kern, who was the director of the Cook Cathedral, St. Thomas More mm-hmm. in Tallahassee, was there when Ted Bundy committed his heinous acts against the sorority um, you know, there at Florida State University. Mm-hmm. So the story that I've heard, again, I hope this is true, but I'm about to share it anyways. This is what I've been told through 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 others, that that night he gets the call in the middle of the night after Ted Bundy has been arrested uh, for for what he did. He he gets a phone call in the middle of the night because Ted Bundy has requested the presence of a priest. Um mm. because he's he claims to be Catholic. And so Monsignor Kern goes and, and meets with him uh that evening and listens to his story and 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 um and basically like begins uh a relationship with Ted Bundy. Um mm. that then Ted Bundy is is arrested, obviously, is sentenced to 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 you know um sentenced to death, and lives on death row for a number of number of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and during that time, Monsignor Kern would go and meet with Ted Bundy and uh, listen to his confession and uh, would offer direction uh, and to help form his conscience in those last years of his life. Mm-hmm my presumption, and this is me filling in the gap, my presumption is that no part was the conversation about getting off of death row, right? Mm-hmm. And no point was the conversation about what it means to, to get away from, from these experiences. Um, but rather the opposite of how to guide him in, in that and to help form his conscience as he's going to meet his end at some point. Mm-hmm. And, uh, in, in, and, and the story that I've heard at least is that, you know, Monsignor Kern believes that he, in many ways, helped fulfill that, you know? Mm-hmm. Now again, ultimately, it's up to the Lord in terms of judgment. and that's mystery beyond mystery and who God how God judges all of us in the end is 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 solely up to him and him alone. but uh, but the Monsignor Kern felt that there was genuine conversion, you know, even at the end there, um uh, which is really, really remarkable, should it be true? um yeah, yeah. and and I think that that that's a model and a template here of of what we've been talking about, you know, this whole time is to say that, that even in the most heinous horrific circumstances, mm-hmm. um, this side of heaven, this, the, the period is, is, this side of eternity, I should say, you know, the, the period is not, is not there, you know, at the end of the sentence, that there's always yes. an opportunity for conversion for all of us. And mm-hmm. uh, that that should be the prayer uh, that we hold dear within our hearts. Um, so, Father Dustin, I, I greatly appreciate the time. If, if people have more questions for you or want to know more about the Joseph House, how how can they access um, uh, said information?
1: Sure. Yeah. Well, well thanks again, uh, Mario, for your generosity, for the questions, for the conversation, most uh, uh, especially. Uh, so, yeah, you, you can uh, uh, find out a little bit more about Joseph House by going to uh, josephhouseus.org. It's josephhouseus.org. Uh and you can it's we, we try to create it to be a kind of a narrative, a little bit more of an information uh uh site on the history of of you know of of the prison systems, but also the, the church's outreach. And I think there are some uh helpful and I hope educational uh pages uh there on, on the website. And then also there's contact information there if ever anyone would like to contact us. Um because I I I do believe, like in the the, the great film uh, Dunkirk, you know, I've always I've shared with Dr. Tom how that's been kind of my vision of the laity, you know, that you know you've, the the British soldiers there that are trapped on this on the the, be- the beach there, uh, uh, Dunkirk, and that it's. You know, it's not the the great warships that come and rescue them. Uh, it's individuals, it's families getting on their private boats and, and 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 making that journey to to help those men cross that sea. And I think so many of of the ills of our society and the issues and needs of the imprisoned, it's ultimately going to be, you know, it's going to be the lay faithful and their involvement and and reaching their hands out to 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 help our sisters and brothers make that journey back into society. And so that's what I hope Joseph House does, because I believe it's something that we as a church and, and, and many of our communities can do.
0: Amen. Well, we'll have a link to that in the show notes. And uh, Father Dustin, final question, ask all of my guests, what gives you hope?
1: You know, I'm going to go with my gut here, Mario. Um, what, what gives me hope are the faces of those people, of, of so many of the men that I visit that are incarcerated. Their resilience, their eagerness uh, to love and to be loved uh, gives me hope because I've discovered that in their faces and in their embraces and their conversation that that love, that desire they have can only come from our Father, can only come from God. Uh, and so they, they in their their desire and their hope gives me hope.
0: Amen. Amen. Awesome, man. Okay, well, God bless you. Thank you so much for joining me on the show and keep up the amazing work that you're doing there to to the people at the Joseph House and to the prisons and to your parishioners as a whole.
1: Well, God you too. And you. your, your mission here, Mario.
0: God Thanks. bless. God bless you. Well, that does it for this episode. Please, everybody, continue to pray for Father Dustin and his ministry. The takeaway for me is that we have a duty to respond to the needs of our community, whether through direct services or more systemically. God invites all of us to bring the kingdom of heaven on earth in a very particular and unique way. So pray about how you're supposed to get more involved and which issue God is calling you to help improve. now that the show is done, please don't forget to leave a rating or write a review. I look forward to reading your thoughts about this episode. God bless everybody and be good.